thanks for signing up for the public beta podcast, the most inconsistent podcast on the internet. Your hosts this week, myself, Lee and Reed. What do you mean inconsistent? We're here once a week at some point. <laughs> That's right. That's all anybody can expect from us. Uh, we're like the garbage men. You, know? <laughs> you, you put your garbage out on Wednesday. Sometimes it gets picked up that day. Sometimes we'll get to it when we get to it. You know what I'm talking yeah. about? Uh, we've taken a break from watching reruns of Kitchen Nightmares and the latest K-pop idol reality shows to come talk to you about video games. Yeah, video games. Video games are fun. Oh, man. Video games, though? They're so good. Uh, so, uh, kind of the holiday break here, easing back into work, uh, from home, mind you. Uh, so, some video games have been happening. I've, uh, dove headfirst back into Ghost of Tsushima to complete all the trophies there, and I'll have more on that in a second. Uh, but before we go any further, um, friend, uh, sometimes guest host of the show, Nick, has, uh, completed Halo Infinite. (laughs) And I think of the three of us... Uh, me, you, and Nick. Uh, he he's probably the biggest Halo fan oh, overall. Yeah. Oh yeah, probably easily. Yeah. Uh, he's a guy who who he, he, I wouldn't call him a fanboy of uh, of Sony, but he does like to uh, give Microsoft their licks uh, whenever the conversation uh, leans that way. But this man, I assume, did play through Halo Infinite on the PC with Game Pass, uh, so he's he's bitten the poison apple, so to speak. But he finished the game. Read. And uh, me and you finished the game, and we're just kind of like, eh, you know, uh, it's it's a good proof of concept for for maybe things to come. It it feels uh, very slight. It feels like something that just needed to come out so they can start building on it. Uh, but then we see this thing popping up on Game of the Year list, getting tens tens out of ten, nine out of ten, and uh, w- that's just a little skewed. So I think we should introduce a little chaos. We should uh, poison the well a bit with a Nick's hot take. <laughs> <laughs> After finishing Halo Infinite, this this is sent to us on Monday. We were all off work. This is around noon on Monday. Uh, Nick's putting in some time on Halo, and uh, and here we go. Beat Halo Infinite, and it has some sub-Saturday morning cartoon writing, a real snooze fest, and linear boring second half. Halo Infinite, more like Hallways Infinite. <laughs> wow. That was like a fucking uh, half-in-the-bag opening. Like, the critics agree. <laughs> It, it truly out. is. It was the, yeah. It's a movie uh, to which you responded. Cortana blew up a planet. Uh, spoilers. <laughs> uh, Halo Infinite spoilers. Cortana blew up a planet. Then was like, oh shit, that was a bad idea. I guess. Nick responds, oh my god, the bad guys in this game always telling me to light a fire in my heart just killed me dead. Like is the average age of four three four three writers sixteen? An embarrassing effort in the story department. Gameplay wise, it's fine. I guess maybe old and outdated. Yeah, no, uh, you guys go on. I don't know. Uh, oh, we were talking you, about. You hit the nail. Yeah, we were talking about some Dark Souls the, shit. But no, he uh, he absolutely did hit the nail on the head there, like you're about to say. Uh, and I think he pretty much agreed with our sentiments last episode, which is the second half of Halo Infinite really fucking drags because you're just going through Forerunner installations, repetitive hallways, uh, and boring sections. And then yeah, like I said in that one text. Uh, They basically tried to get rid of Halo 5 Guardians and all of its plot in a single cutscene. So it just comes across as super lazy and, like Nick said, like a 16-year-old fucking wrote it. Like, to quote one read, this is a transitional game. Its sole purpose was to kill the old canon. Well, not sole purpose, but definitely one of the major goals of the campaign. (laughs) I agree, says Nick, but if this is the best they can come up with, I fear for the new canon. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I absolutely... Like have like I don't even think it's a theory. I think it's almost all but confirmed. But like, uh, you could tell that this game they're just trying to start a new Halo trilogy because the last one failed. 
so fucking come hell or high water, they're going to kill everything that matters from that previous trilogy, and that included Cortana and the Guardians and all that shit. So now we just have it a does new feel Cortana. Like a, yeah, it's a, it's a shift like the Star Wars prequels into the, the new Disney sequels is just like... No, it's it's we're just gonna do the retread of the the good ones, quote unquote. Uh, but the names and faces will have changed, and uh, that's fine. And like, here's the thing: we, we the conversation is uh, if it leans too far one way, like if it leans too far into the positive. By the time Nick got to the end of this game, he was expecting something of a caliber of a ten out of ten game. And this is a guy who just beat Days Gone. I I told him he does not need to. Uh, play Days Gone, but he, he, you know what? He really took a shine to it, and like I enjoyed my time with it. That like it's, it's we had great times memeing on it. Uh, but it is a game that just spins in circles and sequel baits, and then just kind of ends. Uh, in in the worst way a Sony game like that can do. Like Horizon Zero Dawn is a game that could we could never get a second game, and the story is more or less complete, bookended as such. Yeah. Uh, Days Gone is not that game. Days Gone <laughs> is we have left the big questions and the big things you want to see resolved for a game that will now maybe never take place. Right. Yeah. Um, Halo. Halo is something completely new, man. This is uh, we were two we were two games into a trilogy basically, and now we're just gonna have the what would be the third installation as a flashback, as a something that's just told to the player in this new game, yes. which is technically the start of a new trilogy. Fucking versus, like I can't think of many other games that have ever tried this. No, that's a gr- uh, that's a great way to put it. That I didn't think about. They tried to put the third game of the Reclaimer trilogy in. The- that cutscene with Cortana. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they tried that, to, that this is they put the that, ultimate thing that would have happened. Yeah. They put that whole fucking game in that two minute cutscene where Atriox is like, hey, Cortana, remember that planet you blew up? And Cortana's like, yeah. He's like, that was bad. And Cortana's like, fuck, you're right. <laughs> Man, maybe I am the monsters. Uh, it's like, even that, even that, knowing that was the payoff of that, like, if we played a game where that was the ending, it's, it's not better. Like, I'm not saying I wanted a game for closure and then infinite. I'm saying the if that's truly where that story was building up to, it's awful. Uh, that it would be three games of building up a rampant AI. Yeah. It basically accomplishes what it's wanting to and now is putting its plan in action and then has a change of heart. I don't, I, I don't know, man. I, that's It's I, hard to say what that third game would have been. Like, this imaginary third game that they like there probably was concept at no i wouldn't say it ever left the concept like floor but i definitely say there's there was a concept for a game before infinite where it's like let's you know cortana is the big bad you and a ragtag group of unsc on the infinity are trying to stop her sort of thing um and i could see them trying to i think chief would have died with cortana in that game and I think they might have tried to transition to like a. It's like it's a, really the worst for Master Chief because like he's for me the most. When I say interesting, I'm using <laughs> many air quotes. Uh, but I like Master Chief as a character. I like playing as him. He's basically just Space Marine Duke Nukem, but like less crude. He doesn't have much to add. He doesn't have much of a character arc. He's just he's put put a gun in his hands and put fucking aliens in front of him and watch him work. Uh, is fine, and I think, yeah, the natural thing would have been that Master Chief, uh, he basically comes full circle, writes his wrong, and takes out Cortana, and ends her threat. 
Uh, but instead, we get Master Chief is just indisposed of. Yeah, so... And Cortana he, has a change of heart on her own and takes herself out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely would have seen, like, a game, like you said, where Master Chief eventually pulls through and is able to either stop Cortana, like, by force or by words, however you do it. Then either he dies or lives, and I would definitely see transitioning him to kind of, like, a... Like, you know, Devil May Cry 5, where you're mainly playing as Nero and, like, the new batch of kids. Oh, yes, kids. a modern masterpiece, Devil May Cry 5. It is <laughs> really, it's a fucking great game. Fuck, don't shit talk it. Um, but, like, you're, don't you're, talk shit on you're playing, like, the new crew. You're playing, like, V and Nero mostly, right? Like, Nero is, like, he's, like, the new character, right? And right, Dante, as he was in 4. Yeah, yeah, Dante is there literally and figuratively as his, like, as, like, the cool uncle character who kind of, like, like he's like the natural transition of like the old guard to the new guard and then dante at the end of Delmay cry 5 with virgil basically is just like we have to go to the underworld to stop this thing and we don't know if we'll be back nero you have to take care of things so presumably the next game will be nero and more new characters and no more dante and virgil because they've had their time they have their games um i think are you trying to are, so what's happening right now let me just let me just actually break down what's happening right now. Let me circle that and come back to it later. Uh, you're comparing favorably the Devil May Cry storyline. <laughs> you're saying that's the way to do it versus Halo. <laughs> I mean, you're right. A, other than the misstep of like two. Lee, and like, in a sense, yeah. not far off because Devil May Cry 5 would be like what like a as far as like a good story for Devil May Cry like it's not like complicated and like the character motivations are pretty clear and like they develop a little bit but like it it's it's always like the natural progression of the story it never like it's never it, <laughs> I don't know how to describe it like with the exception of like maybe ODST and Reach and I'm including Halo Five in this. There, like, it's a very shallow. Like we've talked about the lore of Halo, right? And that's and what it should like have that, been. But it's a very shallow universe, right? And that's what it should have been in Infinite, with some more spice added to it. Just like Del May Cry Five is just like the same kind of Del May Cry Three formula, except now we have even more characters, so we have more set pieces and more moving parts to it. So I think right. Halo was at its best when it was like. The Forerunners are clearly defined. They were just an ancient race who used to live all over the galaxy until they found the Flood, and they had to stop the Flood. The Flood are very well defined as well. They're this ancient alien threat. They don't give a fuck. They just want to eat everything. You don't need a reason for them to exist besides they existed since the dawn of time, and they want to absorb everything. You got the Covenant, who are religious zealots, and they're kind of like the secondary enemy. That's all you need to know about them. And you're the humans, and you guys fight for things. That's really all Halo needed to be. And then the second you start trying to, like, give actual lore to the Forerunners, you try to do the rampant AI thing and how that works in with, like, the Forerunner network. And now we're going to some endless shit. Um, I don't know. It, it, it's trying to, like, unnecessarily complicate the canon when uh, you don't you don't need to. It's kind of like the Halo... It's kind of like Doom Eternal, how a lot of people were turned off by Doom Eternal trying to explain everything. Yeah, it's like unnecessary. Yeah, it's like you don't need to explain everything. Just there's aliens slash demons, and I can shoot them. <laughs> Endless conflict. Yeah, it's uh. Well, we know. I mean, this is not confirmed or anything, but if we have the second season of the multiplayer dropping in May, along with the co-op campaign as of right now, 
uh, it seems like the natural thing would be like in the fall to drop like the endless expansion. Yeah. And then you just have zombie Halo ring. Uh, sure. You can play that with your friends or whatever. Yeah. I mean, that's that seems yeah. like that's they put put zombies mode in Halo. Right? Yeah. That's, that's the do. other thing is like I I I understand a lot of people saying the look let it play out wait till the DLC comes out. It's like I shouldn't have to wait for fucking DLC to come out to enjoy a full story in a campaign release. Well, in a game that you would have paid $80 for, like some people did, let, let, yeah, uh, yeah. let's not, yeah, but like for a game that we played for a cup of coffee, uh, we, which is a, an expression I've just taken from you and I'm going to use into the ground, uh, for, for what we paid for it, for what we got, it was like, it's fine, it's like a rented action movie with Steven Seagal in, in it or whatever, like it's, it's you, you don't think about it, and we've, got, we've talked about it way more just because it's had this huge positive like outpouring of support, and I don't know if that's just strictly the the fanboying thing, or I think it's, it's because good. It's, it's good that Halo's I, back. I it think it's because hook. it's so good in comparison to four and five that people are like, oh yeah, fuck yeah, like the story isn't that ridiculous, and like you have a grapple hook, so like Halo's back, baby. Like that's their thought. Woo. Yeah. Um, also, it made me had a wonderful thought of that, like the new wave of spartans one of them should have been steven seagal and master chief is talking shit and he's like i wasn't born in the back of a fucking turnip truck <laughs> god damn it <laughs> he's got he's got a helmet on but he still has a goatee on the other side of the helmet <laughs> he still has like the, his visor is the shape of his like game gamer glasses <laughs> and he's fat every time he uses his grappling hook you just see like a double <laughs> uh it's like half his size yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> He never moves. He's always sitting down when you see him. <laughs> it's just like a stool in the middle of the Halo ring. Yeah. He's fucking sitting in it. Uh, so that's let, moratorium on Halo for now. We'll come back. We're gonna play the co-op in it, obviously. Oh fuck yeah, uh, that's but, gonna be sick, honestly. Just because, but yeah, the uh, openness. We'll see if Halo comes up or not uh, in Game of the Year. Uh, which we will officially kick off next week. It'll be a two-part thing at the end of the shows like we did last year. So we'll do a little preamble of what we've been playing, some news if uh, if applicable. Then we're going to run through our extra categories and start our top seven games of the year. The categories this year will be old game of the year, most surprising game of the year, best exclusive game of the year, best new character, best moment in games 2022, uh, most disappointing game of the year, worst ongoing series or genre, biggest news story, most anticipated, and then a top seven games of the year, which is a top five ranked, and then two honorable mentions that are unranked. Uh, so that'll kick off next week. We're, we're busy make, making our lists and realizing that 2021, maybe not the strongest year for video games. Maybe not. Nope, not at all. <laughs> maybe weak, actually. Uh, so, like, even the good games, like Guardians of the Galaxy, that, that game that just came out from, from the Deus Ex folks, Eidos, uh, it's very good. It's very competent. The story is well. It, like if you like Spider Man, the Sony Spider Man yeah. game, the writing in that is, is comparable to this, if okay. not better. Yeah, uh, like the characters are are well represented. The voice acting is is solid. Star Lord sounds like Chris Jericho, which uh, is a positive for me. Uh, <laughs> and then like the the gameplay and stuff is is it's more of an adventure game. It's more like Mass Effect. There's long narrative sections and walking sections and then like a block of action for an hour kind of thing it's structured very similarly uh to a mass effect and i like wholeheartedly recommend it and i want to go back and play it but read i can't bring myself to sit there and play what is a triple a game uh by any stretch of imagination i'm i'm over here playing ghost of tsushima you got it. um uh, which i've already beaten the dlc 
to death. The only thing I had left to do to get the story uh, trophies was I needed to play through uh, level nine of the story in Legends mode again, which I did. Just played with a random and, and beat it on uh, bronze. Uh, he dropped from the game, so I was forced to finish that as a level one samurai. Not the easiest feat. Uh, I lost, uh, I'll, I'll say, five or six times, because obviously I didn't have any abilities, just uh, the, the good uh, items that I may have procured that weren't already locked to my Ronin. Uh, so that was a challenge. I had to I had to do some uh, ducking and weaving. I found a loop I could run where I could duck through a fence and then run around to the other fence and then get a drop on them repeatedly. Uh, so it was basically just me running in a circle, assassinating, dropping whatever I could, and then... Uh, it, man, that game is so good in terms of combat that you you every time you lose you're like it's on me i can beat there is a way to beat this like i i know it's within my uh my which is all the best uh combat games are like that in my oh, opinion oh just that's like the, that's the just like uh dark souls well exactly <laughs> dark souls is a little more deliberate and uh maybe a little more fumbly uh, than, say, a ghost of, of Tsushima, but the principle is the same. If you die and you're like, ah, you know, that was on me, that's good. Even if some of the times it's cheap deaths and Dark Souls has got a lot of those. Uh, so anyways, oh, Ghost of Tsushima, no, I go they, back. I, and how I, dare you? Dark uh, Souls listen, too. there's a fair bit of I, I touched the wrong pixel and fell off the, the cliff. There's a fair bit of that in Dark Souls. <laughs> don't, even, don't even deny it. Uh, that's part of the game. Who that's are part you of to deny game. it, huh? And, <laughs> so we uh so i go back into my uh tsushima playthrough and now i've completed the the game has detected that i've completed the story mode in legends Jin basically tells the story of the uh of the legends mode to this person as like a tall tale of like things that didn't happen because it's like taking place in a paranormal universe yeah uh and I'm, and the trophy didn't pop and i'm like oh man fuck like, it's bugged, or, like, a, an update happened, and I, I fucked this up somehow. I go online, do a little research, and I realize, no, there is a extra quest that unlocks. After you beat the epilogue, after you seemingly have beaten everything else, there is an unmarked quest. You go back to Fune, and you help her uh, save her drug-addled daughter. And, like, it has this... It's a, tiny, it's a tiny story. It's like, she's on a boat, let's go kill a bunch of guys and save her kind of thing. But the story is uh, that she injured herself a long time ago, Fune's daughter did, and Fune gave her this, like, drug from the island, and she got addicted to it. And she, one night, she was basically put in charge and was high, and we lost a bunch of lives because of that. And there's a bunch of people in Fune's camp that now resent Fune uh, because instead of killing her daughter, which by her own law would be what happens, she basically uh, disowned her daughter and left her left her for dead. Uh, so there's a bunch of people who resent her for not simply taking her own daughter's head for her transgression. Basically, you go to rescue her daughter. Her daughter's in rough fucking shape. Like, she's she's her brain is shot. She's been drugged up, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and then the people turn on Fune because you're like, oh, we, you brought us all the way here and you rest our lives again to save her who, like, cost the, the lives of our brothers and stuff like that. And then there's a mutiny... And then you fight Fune's guys, and I beat this quest. Fune thanks me. Uh, she was the one you're most at odds with in the DLC. And uh, and then Jin's sitting on the beach with his horse, and I'm like, the trophy pops. I've now officially done everything I could, and the game didn't phone it in. It wasn't just a simple go here and kill people. No, there was a little bit of a plot, a little bit of a story, a little bit of a heart there, and that's the story with all of Ghost of Tsushima as far as I'm concerned. It doesn't... It's an open-world game, open-world ass, open-world game, but I tried playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla, and that has everything to do. You can, there is, you fucking throw a rock, and there's something to do in that game. There's a side quest in that game, but man, does none of it match up. 
to Tsushima and and this DLC, which is doing it like a cliche, like a, you go back to this this island where your dad was considered this butcher or whatever, and you're trying to garner back uh, s- some goodwill for your family name and stuff like that. It's it's very well done. Ghost of Tsushima. I cannot stress it enough. Uh, awesome. And now I'm playing the Legends mode, and I'm trying to get every single trophy in that game, so I'm going to need to call you guys in uh, <laughs> to help. But that's me gushing about Ghost of Tsushima and this little nugget of a mission. Uh, that that basically inspired me to play the New Game Plus. I'm I'm blitzing through New Game Plus for that trophy now, and uh, New Game Plus is a lot of fun because uh, you got all of your shit from Go, and you're just a murder machine. You get that fucking armor on where you can chain assassinate, and you go into Ghost mode, and you could you're untouchable. You're a god, and yeah. uh, that's kind of fun How too. How could you so. kill a god? A god. <laughs> <laughs> Read. What have you been playing? I I I. This is a loaded question because I do know what you've been playing. <laughs> Um, so I pretty much hopped off the Skyrim train and everything else except for uh, Dark Souls and Demon Souls. Um, I beat Demon Souls again recently, last weekish. Oh, humble brag. Yeah. Oh no, I dude, I beat that game so many fucking times. It's like super easy. You could do it in four hours if beat you wanted with, to. Beat it with a Guitar Hero controller. <laughs> beat it with a fried egg. <laughs> it's, it's nothing to me. It's not piss on that game. <laughs> so I played Dark Souls one again because I picked up the remaster during the holiday sale. Um, sure. How does that look on PC? Oh, you know, it's it looks really nice. Like it's it's still like an Xbox three sixty era game, so you're not really gonna get away from that for the most part. But it it's a smooth sixty frames, consistent as fuck, uh, tight as shit game. Um, I, I have lots of weird opinions about Dark Souls one now because, like as you well know, Lee, like pretty much any old school Dark Souls players like Dark Souls one's the best, every other one shit, interconnected world. <laughs> Uh, and they're right about a lot of things. Dark Souls 1 absolutely is great because of the interconnected world. It's a fantastic game. It's much better than Dark Souls 2. Um, but I think a lot of people are missing a portion of the game, and namely the second half. The second half after you beat Ornstein and Smog and Anya Orlando. Um, basically, when you have to go get the four Lord Souls, and that's what will end the game and give you access to the four areas. And these four areas are not nearly as interconnected or connected as the previous ones, so you're not looping around as much. The areas themselves, with the exception of one, are incredibly tedious and annoying and have very straight-up bad gimmicks for the most... I shouldn't say bad, but, like, I don't know a single person who has ever been like, oh, fuck yeah, two of the giants love going through their pitch-dark fucking skeletons everywhere and you just fall every time you don't have a light out. Great, great area great fucking area uh <laughs> or people are like oh i love lost eyes with you have to use iron chard ring otherwise you get fucking burned to a crisp with all the goddamn <laughs> lava also it's a 10 minute run to the boss with no enemies in between so you're just running for 10 minutes sounds like you love this game <laughs> i'm saying the second half is very poor it's it's very weird because the first half is is tight as fuck if anybody has played up until Ornstein and Smog or beat them, um, you'll know that it's very tight. Uh, the bonfires are perfectly paced. The, interconnectiv- the interconnectivity between the areas is really, really well done. Um, as well as... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? So is this why a lot of Dark Souls purists, I'll say, would consider Bloodborne's map to be the strongest of the series yeah I'll, and yes and i'll get to that in a little bit um but another thing that's really good about the first half of dark souls one is not just the interconnectivity but it's also the 
Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? I had it in my head just a second ago. Yes, the the freedom of choice in it and how you can proceed, especially if you or the, or the illusion of choice. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's very yeah. You, like well, off the of Firelink Shrine, you can go to like four or five different places right off the top of my head. Because once you go down one place, you you can go to new launch. Like you can go down to the section, use the master key that you started with to go down to New Londo, or you can take the other elevator, go up to Valley of the Drakes, which either leads into um, New Londo itself, or it goes into Blaytown, which leads into uh, the Depths, or it goes into the Demon Catacombs and stuff like that. Like, it's all very open in that first half and how you proceed and how you can tackle stuff. You can even start getting some of the Four Lord Souls before we even go to Annual Londo. But the last areas themselves to tackle these enemies are usually just very annoying and don't have very many bonfires. And they're supposed to be, like, a test of your patience and skill. Um, but, like, on your third playthrough, you're just so fucking over having to run so far to do the Beta Chaos fight. Because the Beta Chaos is a horrible boss fight. Uh, it's not an actual boss. You have to go to two different ends of the arena to take out, like, little bugs, essentially. And the bed itself is making constant sweeping attacks and your floor is falling underneath you. So it'll constantly just push you off and you have fall down. Then you have to run all the way back and try again. And you'll get pushed off in two seconds. And there's not a whole lot you can do about it. Really gimmicky bad boss fights for the most part in that second half, which is disappointing. That being said, it's like obviously it was the second. It's funny because I've only like I've only seen deep Dark Souls one in the t- in in the uh, context of speed runs. Yeah. So every time you're talking about these bosses, I'm like, oh, I know that boss, but I also know uh, you can beat it in two fucking seconds if you, if you try. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, obviously. Yeah. Um, no, I get it. Um, but yeah, you have to also. Yeah. I, I understand you have to put it in the context of like, um, like this the second game in the series at the time, and the the improvement from Demon Souls was so drastic, like so drastic. It was such a better game in almost every single way. Yeah. Um. So like that's why so many people you're are saying whole, it's like a rose tinted glasses kind uh, of thing. It's not just like as, a, an amazing game. Yeah, not but. as much. It's an amazing game, but I think people are really scanning over that second half of that game. Whereas something like Dark Souls three, yeah, you could argue that like the R one spam and um like the pace of the game is a bit too much like it's a bit too fast or something like that but as far as like the combat goes but the actual layout of the game and how you can accomplish tasks and the bosses overall are a much more consistent basis if at the sacrifice of a bit more interconnectivity in that sense you were right with you said earlier i did play a little bit of bloodborne recently as well but Bloodborne is namely probably the best way they went about accomplishing um, those interconnected worlds. Because in Dark Souls 3, you do have to touch the bonfires sometimes to go places. Bloodborne, I'm pretty sure you could just keep walking everywhere and never have to go back to the Hunter's Dream if you don't want to. And you are constantly unlocking shortcuts to other areas. But it's not super duper confusing, and it's still a little bit linear for the most part, um, which is fantastic. Uh, but Bloodborne as a whole is a whole other story. I have a very controversial opinion about that, and that is if it didn't have the DLC, people would not even think about Bloodborne all that much anymore. I think the DLC saves that game 100%. Um, but Really? Oh, yeah. I had not heard that before. Um, I... Th- the DLC, Lee, it adds in so much 
things that Bloodborne needed. It added just as almost as many weapons in the DLC as there were in the base game. Because the base game had very few selection of weapons. Like if you're doing like a blood tinge build, there's only two or three real weapons you could choose from. If you're doing a sorcery build, there was like one weapon you could really use. So the DLC was a very necessary addition of weapons and equipment and armor, of course. Because there's also... uh, It was kind of like Demon Souls in that sense. Even less of a selection than Demon Souls as far as what weapon and armor go in the vanilla game. Plus, in my opinion, the vanilla bosses for Bloodborne are not great. Um, a lot of them are gimmicks like Demon Souls, and the other ones are just mostly forgettable and not too difficult. Father Gascoigne stands out because he's like everyone's first real challenge. Vicar Amelia. But yeah, but Vicar Amelia isn't particularly special. Even the final boss in Vanilla Murgle's Wet Nurse isn't anything. Garnum is an awesome boss, of course, because of narratively and how cool the boss fight looks. But difficulty-wise, he has a huge parry window, and anybody who's been playing Bloodborne up to that point should be able to just parry him to death all day. Um, so, like, the vanilla bosses, while, while not being bad by any stretch of the imagination, I don't think are particularly good. Whereas the DLC bosses, however, for Bloodborne are, like, oh my god, they're the best bosses in the entire Soulsborne series as a, as a, as a whole. Um, you have Ludwig the Holy Blade with his two faces. Uh, he's, like, this giant horse demon thing. And narratively, like... You kept hearing about Ludwig this whole time, um, and to see him at first in his rampaging mode when he's like a beast, then he sees the Moonlight Greatsword, which is a little bit of fan service for the Souls fans, and it makes him be, like <laughs> become sane enough to attack you with the sword. Right. And it's so fucking... And the music, oh, it's the best music. Um, Maria's great. The hardest boss in the entire Soulsborne series, probably Orphan of Cost. So the DLC absolutely saves it. And I can kind of relate that a little bit to Dark Souls 1, because for the first time I played the DLC. Usually I I never get around to it because I lose interest around this time, but um, I didn't, and I played the DLC finally, which is Atorius of the Abyss. So this DLC uh, was surprising because it was very short. Like, you could get it done two hours kind of short. Um but a lot like uh, the Old Hunters DLC for Bloodborne, it absolutely added in a, a couple very necessary, wonderful bosses, in my opinion. It didn't add much in the way of like new items or weapons or anything like that. Uh, but the new bosses and the, the areas you do go through are very iconic. It gives you a very good PvP area, but that's besides the point. But the two, it adds in five bosses in that one DLC, which is already like pretty nuts uh four bosses sorry um but two of them are really really good and that would be Artorius first of all Artorius is really uh awesome as a boss in Dark Souls 1 especially because he is like a human character right so you don't have any real human fights in Dark Souls 1 besides Gwyn I want to say if I'm not well I guess Ornstein Smog but that's kind of like a gang fight but like one-on-one sword-on-sword kind of like thing uh, Artorius has really heavy overhand attacks and you cannot use a shield against him at all or he'll just constantly break your stamina and he he's aggressive and fast enough where you ha- don't have time enough to recover to back up so he always just overhand kill you break your guard boom swipe you and kill you um, so it forces you as a Dark Souls 1 player to get rid of the shield and just use dodge to kill him uh, luckily I've played Bloodborne so that's not a fucking problem 
Uh, and, Humble brag. Well, it's it's just a fact. Like if you play Bloodborne, like you never need to like it forces. You, there's no shields in Bloodborne. It makes you like it makes you good. Go play Bloodborne. It's a good game. Um, but the se- there's two types of gamers out there. There's the uh, block and uh, receive, and then there's the go go for broke parry gamers. Right? Like that's the parry is in every game now. Yeah. So like absolutely. you got to pick a you got to pick a team. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, especially Dark Souls one. The parries like like any app like you could pick that game up for the first time in years late, and you could start parrying stuff. The window's so big. Um, but it's the second boss is Manus, which is a big Bloodborne boss basically in Dark Souls one. He's ultra aggressive. Like he doesn't really stop attacking, and he's always up in your shit. Big area attacks. Big slam attacks. Uh, commonly agreed upon as the hardest boss in Dark Souls 1. Uh, so luckily I was able to put those two away by myself, even though it took me a bunch of tries. Torius was like three or four, and Manus was like four or five. There's a shitty boss named Calabi who has a giant dragon, and giant dragon fights in Dark Souls always fucking suck. And that took me like ten tries, because dragons fucking suck. Uh, but yeah, I've been basically way into Dark Souls, super fucking pumped for Elden Ring. I know absolutely nothing about it pretty much except for some gameplay I've seen recently, like last month or two. Uh, but like I'm playing all these Souls games, getting myself ready. It's fuck February 19th, I think. Uh, 22nd or something like that? Oh, hell yeah. Are you going to buy it by the way? Oh yeah, probably. Good. Good. I'll check that out. Like again, I, I, whether or not I stick around. Uh, we'll see. I cannot say, yeah. but we will. We will see. Like the open world aspects and the the exploration, and not having to engage with the combat to proceed per se. Uh, these are all, these are all fun sounding things. Also, that game just looks sick. Like the the special moves and stuff that look like fucking. Yeah, ridiculous. and you so always have to uh, you always have to give it up for the Souls art direction too. Like they always have the most unique oh, yeah. enemy and location designs and stuff like that. Uh, that's not the only games you've been playing though, because you've been talking a lot of game. About Red Dead Online. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, of course. I completely. I've been so I've I've waxed on about Red Dead Online before, and it's what you what good can come of playing Red Dead Online. And uh, you maybe didn't have all the context uh, of of, but now now you've put in a few hours on this fucking thing, and uh, let let's let's talk. Uh, so like GTA Online. Red Dead Online is not a game that necessarily gives you a direction. Uh, you get to just kind of be in the world. Uh, you you have a camp, and you can kind of move around the map as you see fit and make money as you see fit. There are a ton of game modes. There are a ton of competitive game modes. There are a ton of co-op game modes. There are jobs and things you can jump into. There are story missions, sort of, uh, that you can jump into. And uh, the whole point of playing the game is to just further your character by what you want and uh, set your own goals, basically, because the game is very bad at basically giving you a reason for being. I think you would agree. Uh, yeah, I guess a reason for being. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Like, yeah, there's not an outright goal that you're working towards. I, it, I, it almost needs, like, a quest log. Like, it almost needs, like, th- things that you can track on the map where it's just like, oh, uh... Here's a quest log for your trader missions with a countdown, or like you can you buy this and then you can see where your trader. So basically, you buy roles in the game, which are like jobs, let's say in an MMO, 
uh, and you have to earn the gold currency, not just the dollar currency, the gold currency, which is harder to get, or the one you can buy with real money to unlock these rolls. And then the point of the game would be to unlock these rolls as quickly as you can and then just start spinning those plates all together. And the game, basically, when you log in, you have something to do. Uh, you have the things that you do when you're waiting for the other things to complete. You you basically are just maxing bars and then getting payouts uh, with your, your trader and your moonshiner. Uh, and that's the way to best progress in the game. And by progress, I mean leveling up and getting all the up upgrades, like a fast travel point in your camp, which is locked at rank 65 for some inexplicable reason. Um, the game gives you tons of coupons, tons of free stuff. You log in, it's going to give you a free hat or a shirt every now and again. There are season pass contents in the form of outlaw passes or whatever they're called now uh, that give you all your gold back if you do invest in them and then play the game. And the game is basically just goading you into spending real money on the gold because you're sick of the grind. That's kind of how GTA is uh, structured as well. And man... Uh, so tell me a little bit about your experience with it. <laughs> uh, well, the only thing we've done as far as the roles so far has been Bounty Hunter. Um, Which is a good place to start. Yeah, that's what's stuck it's out. a good place to grind gold. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what's stuck out to us, even though the gold for some of them hasn't been, like, all that spectacular. No, it's like 16 cents. Uh, it's like, it's it's shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, like, a lot of the th my complaints of Red Dead have resurfaced just playing online. Like, going to the bounty board... It's never as simple as just, like, here's a list of regular bounties and here's a list of legendary bounties and, like, here's what's going to happen and here's what you get or anything like that. Like, no, it's, like, here's the posters, except you can swap through them with up and down, even though it's not really marked. And then also there's legendary bounties, but you need to press another button to go to those, and those are, like, an actual mission oh. and not in the open world. It's, nothing's ever fucking convenient. Dude, the UI, just change, swapping out the emotes you have equipped is the most ham-fisted fucking thing I've ever seen in a video game. Yeah, like, like period. trying to take off your bandana is so fucking frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I remember about this game is just, like, these fucking menus, these UIs, how your character moves, it's all just... That weapon wheel has to fucking go, yeah, man. It's, that that yeah. Rockstar weapon wheel. Yeah, it's all just in service of, like, this like pseudo immersion that fucking no one even gives half a shit about most of the time like try like there's like three minutes left to bring this bounty back to the De saint denis jail and i'm on the back of my horse and i don't have the fucking prompt to put him on there so you have to fucking walk around the horse till you see it but your character has to do the full goddamn turn and do the whole business and he's not gonna move in any s good pace because if you press x once he's gonna start moving out in a full fucking sprint no, you, you don't have direct control of your character like in a video game. You are basically choosing the direction your character is is heading in, and then you push X to move in that direction. It's like you're riding a horse all the time, basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, yes. It's like you're puppeteering them above with strength. So yeah, there's like a that, but that's there's like a slight that's delay. What they on, want. There's like a slight delay on everything, and it's like not. Want to hear something really fucked up? If you wait to the last possible second to deliver a bounty, you will get higher rewards. What? So you are penalized from doing the bounty as quickly as you can. That's fucking because stupid. Because the maximum amount of gold and cash you can get from a bounty is determined on turning in that bounty with seconds remaining. That's stupid. So you get, let's say you got there and it was six minutes remaining. <laughs> what kind of gameplay is it that you're like, oh, let's just wait here for six minutes. 
uh, so we can get more. Shouldn't you be rewarded for doing it as quickly as possible? Yeah, like, like what? Why is why am I rewarded if I bring the guy to just outside the police doors and I just don't walk in until the last second? <laughs> yeah, like you're standing out there holding him, and they're like looking through the window at you, and you're like, "What the fuck's this? What's this feller?" Oh, doing? he's getting in on that <laughs> goddamn deal the sheriff put out. Oh, he he knows he knows <laughs> about letting the clock run out. So he. Uh, the other thing is, uh, what the fuck was I going to say with it? Oh, man, I can't even. I, the, the UI is just so astounding. Uh, like, the, in a, in a bad way, the the immersion is, like, when you're playing with another person, you're playing for long hours, and you're kind of go like, it is part of it. Like, the game looks so good. Like, the game's so damn realistic and has all these kind of aspects to it. Uh, that yeah, absolutely. You, it's something you could RP, or at least that com- some of the fun of of the game comes from that of like lassoing the guy and tying him up and throwing him off a cliff. That's that's RPing. That's you having fun with what's there. You're, and I feel uh, like the up. online missions are looser, so they allow you to get away with more of that stuff than the story missions do. The problem there is that all the missions are basically the same, and it's basically a go here, find person, get them back. And then the other aspect of the game, of course, is on a public server, which is how the game is played. Uh, you are atta- you are you can be attacked in most most of these missions have some aspect where other players can grief you, which is not fun in any capacity. There's no fun well, in wasting your time I, in doing a bounty for ten minutes and then having someone lasso you and kill you and take your bounty away or something in the last thirty seconds and you get fucking shit all. That's not fun. That's not stakes. That's um, yes and no. Like, I. I, I disagree with that to a small degree. I like the the wildness of the online aspect as far as that goes. Like if so, if I'm going by and I see someone's robbing a stagecoach and I can interfere, I will usually go on my way to do that because it sounds like fun to me. Right, but what if they were delivering a trader mission that took them two hours to prepare? I don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah, but now when you're doing a trader mission, you realize the amount of work that goes into right, but doing such a thing. Why would I not thing. just go into a private then, server at that point? You can't. There is no private servers. I don't know. Like, I think you're accepting the risk if you're doing that stuff, kind of. You know, <laughs> can't you use that parlay option to, like, not be killable? Uh, no, they have to parlay with you. Uh, you can use a defensive player option. However, when you're doing the bigger missions, it will turn that off so they can attack you and get at you. So when I'm saying private server, I'm not saying this is something that Rockstar provides. I'm saying that there is a trick to get you and your friend in a server by yourself so you don't have to deal with bullshit griefers when you're trying to just put time into the game and grind. And it's pretty widely known. It's a funny thing you do at a poker game. Uh, <laughs> but that that's the problem is there's no option to turn that off. It's your PvP all the time if you're doing the, the bigger missions that make you the money. And any game like this where it, it the entire game is a grind, and then for them to be like, no, you, you grinded, but you, you fucked up, and you just lose that time now. It's like, I, I wouldn't care enough about that game to keep playing it if there wasn't a loophole that gets you in a private room where you don't have to deal with that shit. And if you keep playing it, it'll come up at some point. You will get griefed. Uh, it's just going to happen to you. And you'll come crawling back and being like, how do you get into that private server again? What's this fun <laughs> poker game? It's going to happen. Uh, so I'm far, telling so you, good. Because we haven't been attacked much. Well, you're not doing anything worth time. You're you're yeah, not doing, doing anything worth money. Uh, once you start doing the big trader missions where someone can grief you and basically make out like a fucking bandit for doing it, uh, then it basically becomes, well, why don't we just become griefers, right? Like, why don't we become a band of a posse of outlaws? And then the game, the way the game balances that is that people can put bounties on you or you, you know, you have a big bounty that you have to pay off or whatever, but it's, it's fucking trivial at that point. Like, it's... 
the game is bad. Uh, and the only fun you will get from that game is is setting your own goals, getting that trickle of cosmetics or a new gun or something every now and again, customizing it. That stuff's all fun. The fashion is fine. The fashion's absolutely incredible in Red Dead Online. Uh, but they they make you work for it, every, every single thing uh, in that game. The economy in that game is super hilarious because obviously they've inflated the cost of things. Like, they're trying to keep it realistic with things being dollars and cents, but then it'll be like, oh, I want a cook pot for my camp, and it's $650, which could have bought you, like, a fucking plantation uh, in <laughs> fucking 1800s or whatever. Uh, but I'm glad you're uh, you're having some fun with it. And, uh, you know, rooting two yeah, cowboy it's times. It's It's fine. I think it's the best you could say. Uh, real quick through the news here, because we got to wrap it up. A PlayStation VR 2 has been announced. Uh, it is bringing eye tracking uh, and all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, basically, overall, completely uh, redesigned PlayStation VR that has a lot of the bells and whistles that modern contemporary VR has. So if that's something that's appealed so, to like, you. So you can actually uh, Sony. move in the game? <laughs> Uh, so w- the thing is now is that this has competition from something that's a stand has there's standalone VR now right like there's Oculus that don't Quest require two. a PC yeah. Uh, yeah which is super fucking cool so this the the cool thing about PlayStation VR was it was hands down the worst VR other than strapping a phone to your face which I hope people still aren't doing uh, but it it was accessible it worked on a PS4 and everybody had a PS4 uh, now this is going to work on a PS5. Lot, you know, a lot of people had a PS5, but also for the price of investing in this, if this thing's going to cost the same as a standalone Oculus or whatever, it might not be as worth it. Like, if, if you are someone who's looking to shop for a new VR and you were looking for the the cheap model, yeah, PlayStation VR was it. But now it, there's competition in that, in that price point. Uh, Rainbow Six Extraction will be a Game Pass game on Xbox consoles, not on PC as far as I can tell. Uh, so that is a game that has had several delays. It was originally Rainbow Six Quarantine. Uh, it is not a full price game. It is a budget price at forty nine ninety nine. Uh, but it'll be on Game Pass for free. So I'll I'll che- like like you say, Reed. I'll check that out for a cup of coffee. Uh, Square <laughs> Enix talked about NFTs, and then me and Reed talked about NFTs. And I don't even know if I want to keep talking about NFTs. No, uh, I don't but, think we do. Uh, Yosuke <laughs> Matsuda of Square, the Square Enix president basically published a letter in which he expresses hope that NFTs and blockchain technology become a major trend in gaming. Uh, he would like to make a lot of money. So come on, let's come on, kids get on board. <laughs> what this all means for gaming, obviously there's a huge pushback from it, uh, from the gamers themselves and what this means for integration and what this takes away from them potentially, uh, it's kind of unknown at this point. We've kind of seen how it's been integrated by Ubisoft and breakpoint to hilarious, uh, results, uh, but the fact of the matter is, is that Square Enix stock went up after announcing this. So the investors, the people that hold the money, read, are interested in making more money, even Ooh. at the cost of the integrity of the company. I've never and heard of that keys. before. Uh, yes. And then the gamers, the people who consume this, the people who ultimately make the money for these people, uh, basically the rich people are trying to convince the poor people that this is something they need and this is something that has value, and they're willing to invest to make that the case in sort of a pyramid schemey scam. And NFTs, man, if you don't understand them, that's good. You don't need to know about them. Cryptocurrency, look into that. That's a thing that's been around for a while. Tried, tested, true. Isn't a picture of an ape uh, that can be stolen uh, quite easily. So, listen, it's kind of unknown what this all means for the future, but take note of which video game publishers are, are kind of noting this and consider what that means for their immediate releases. Like, what does this mean for Final Fantasy 
uh, immediately in the future that this is now the trend and that they want that the president of Square Enix is saying like I hope this is a huge thing. And you can imagine him then sending an email to that team and being like, y'all need to put NFTs in this. Hey, all these items or all these spells that you were just going to put in the game because it's a video game, we need to find a way to monetize this. We need to find a way to make these scarce. Uh, and that's that's the fear, right? All right, Reed, we got to wrap it up because uh, we're going on 48 minutes now and you probably won't be able to send me that file. So... <laughs> Uh, at Iceberg Podcast is us on Twitter. LeahTissyIceberg.com is my email address. Send questions, topics, anything you find interesting. If we find it interesting, might include it in the show. Game of the Year starts next week. It'll be a two-part extravaganza. Uh, we also have the Resident Evil uh, question mark compilation. Uh, that'll be coming out sometime this month as well. Reed, anything else? No, I think I'm all good. Then we're signing off, baby, for myself, Lee, and for Reed. That's the Public Beta Podcast. Thank you for signing up. We'll talk to you again next week.